Evaluation. Have you heard about it before? You probably have. In fact, it is everywhere around us in our societies, guiding us and helping us develop knowledge and insights from personal level to corporate level to national level. Today, we are going to talk about public policy evaluation. And there's a lot of it being done on national and international levels. And while these evaluations show that the public policies are working just fine, we still face some serious sustainability challenges that do not seem to be getting better soon enough. So what is the problem then, you might ask? Let's find out. You are listening to the podcast Advancing Sustainable Solutions, broadcasting from the International Institute for Industrial and Environmental Economics at Lund University. This episode will be hosted by Catherine Shebb and Stephen Curtis. Hi there, and welcome back to the IIIE podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions. This is your co-host, Stephen Curtis. And I am Catherine Shebb. We hope that some of you were able to recognize that voice at the beginning of today's episode. We are incredibly excited to welcome back our previous co-host and co-founder of this podcast, Sophie Sandin. Sophie joins us as a guest for this month's episode to talk about public policy evaluations that support a transition to a more sustainable society. And as mentioned in our previous episode, we are keen to celebrate the successes of the PhD students at the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics at Lund University, which is where Stephen and I are PhD students at. And Sophie is defending her doctoral thesis this spring, and we want to highlight her work, research, and contributions. So in this month's episode, we're going to explore evaluation through Sophie's research. And with sustainability issues and climate change risks looming ahead of us, all kinds of public policies are being put in place, such as emission standards, bans of toxic substances, environmental taxes, energy efficiency labels, or even communication campaigns. And we just need to ask ourselves, you know, are these policies working? How? Under what circumstance? And at what cost? And evaluating these public policies is important for many reasons, and that's exactly what we'll cover today. Sophie will be joined by Per Mikvitz, the previous director here at the IIIE. He was recently promoted to vice chancellor of research, sustainability, and campus development. Really a huge task. And already he is overseeing the investment of 100 million Swedish crowns, approximately 10 million euros, into PhD and postdoctoral education for sustainable development. We're super happy for him and grateful that he's agreed to join us on today's episode to discuss evaluation, which just so happens to be his main area of research. Right. So instead of hearing from Stephen and I, as usual, we decided to switch up the format of this podcast episode. So by having two experts on public policy evaluation, Sophie and Pear, they will guide us through this conversation, exploring what is evaluation in the public policy context, why is it important? Do we need to rethink how we evaluate our actions for sustainability? And finally, how can evaluation be used to support a transition to more sustainable societies? Yeah, and Catherine, on that last point, I think it would be interesting to actually explore more concretely an example of how evaluation is carried out and used in practice. 
Lisa Eriksson from the Swedish Environmental Protection Agency has kindly agreed to provide some insights about how the Swedish EPA sees evaluation and how they're working with evaluating for a transition to a more sustainable society. Specifically, she'll share an example of an evaluation of a policy program for electrical bikes here in Sweden, which she refers to as e-bikes. With such a great lineup, let's get started with the episode. Welcome, Sophie. Welcome, Per. It is so great to have you here to talk about such an important topic. So let me start a bit by contextualizing what we're here to talk about. And we all know that environmental and sustainability challenges ahead of us are global and systemic. And we know that we need to fundamentally transform the way we produce, consume, and live. So for example, we need to transition to a greener and more resource efficient economy, to cleaner energy pathways, to more sustainable consumption and production patterns, this is our big challenge. And surely evaluation plays a key role in helping gauge whether we're on the right track to achieve this transition. But before we move into the role of evaluation, Per, could you tell us a bit more about this transition? What do we mean by it? And do we all agree on what that transition would look like? Well, the thing is that if you look historically and at, at the earlier environmental problems that we have had, it was about cleaning up water or air uh, that could be fixed with sort of changing just some part of the either consumption or production. Some way how we produce paper or um, we could do it with very specific policy instruments or we could change one chemical for another and we could get rid of one single problem. Now the challenges that you mentioned about climate change, biodiversity loss, they are systemic by nature. We need to change the entire systems. We therefore often talk about socio-technical systems because these systems are combined of humans and how we interact, but they are also combined of the technologies that we use. And we have to change these systems, entire systems. And we can't do that with one policy instrument. So we talk about policy mixes and, and uh, we need to change behavior. We need to change organizations. We need to change incentives but we also need to change the real physical world, the infrastructure in such a way that we can continue to live on this planet. That means that we need to use much less natural resources. We need to produce much less emissions and we need to have a more gentle way of uh, using nature in such a way that other parts of nature can also exist. Yeah, and I think that we can all agree on that central premise that we do need to transform and transition our societies towards more sustainable futures. But I think for Catherine and I, and maybe for some of our listeners, some of these topics that we're going to cover around policy evaluations are a little bit big. So I thought maybe we'd start with just asking, what is an evaluation? What do we mean by that? Per, what, what do you think? Well, there is a classic definition of, of evaluation, and evaluation is the process and the outcome of assessing the value, worth, and merit of something. So you can evaluate different things. You can evaluate products. You can evaluate processes. You can evaluate a lot of things. But often in this context, we talk about evaluating public policy. And that means both the 
idea how policy would work, but also how the policy is implemented. So that we know, do we achieve what we want to achieve, but also what other impacts do we have by the policies that we take? So I think we understand why we need to use evaluations in the public policy context, but when do we bring them into the the policy cycle? The policy cycle is uh, used to describe that there are different stages in policymaking. So usually you first, you form a policy question or a, a problem, then you have a deliberation about different sort of options. Then you take some decision on uh, which option to choose, then you, you, after the decision, you need to implement it. And then you often think that then you do evaluation to see what you have achieved. Basically, then this is circle in the sense that it goes on all the time. So that means that the, the evaluations that you have made of previous policies would feed in to all the other stages, actually. They will be used in framing new issues. They will be used in preparing options. They will be used in decision-making which, which policy options to, to go for. And they would then be used, hopefully, when you make better implementation. And also, actually, to design then new evaluation. So this is this ongoing circle that you have. Per, thank you for clarifying some of these important concepts that we'll be using throughout the rest of the episode. So we talked already about, you know, policy cycles, evaluation, transition. And Sophie and Per, we know that you've worked together on a project called Transition Governance. Could you tell us a bit more about what we mean by transition governance before we go ahead and cover uh, Sophie's research topic? Yeah, so I had a pleasure to be the PhD uh, candidate in uh, this project called Transition Governance, and it was an interdisciplinary project. It was me and uh, Per and uh, three other professors also, all of us representing different uh, disciplinary backgrounds. So with that, we tried to bring together our different insights and knowledge and trying to suggest how we can make evaluations of public policies able to provide the learning we need to support this transition that Per just described. So that is in essence what we talked about. Per, do you want to add something there? I could just add that this was one of the most fun projects I ever worked in. Our basic goal was to, on one hand, start by looking at what is being done at the moment and then trying to look at how could evaluation be improved so that we would have a better uh, knowledge base for these transitions that we see that we all need. I mean, it sounds like I want to know more about the work that you guys did in this project. Sophie, do you want to just walk us through a little bit uh, about uh, the research that you conducted in this project as part of your PhD studies? Absolutely. I would love to talk a bit about my research since I, you know, as a PhD student, you get really engaged in your research. So uh, an amazing opportunity now to share some of the insights. So as Per said, we started out with looking at how are evaluations being done today? And this required some scoping. So I scoped it, my research down to figuring out how evaluations of both public policies and research were conducted in Sweden. 
And Sweden is an interesting case because we have a quite long tradition of evaluating public policies in Sweden. So our assumption in the project was that there should be some interesting foundations here to be looking at uh, that in terms of existing evaluations. And then the second and important scoping that I did was that I decided, or in the project, we decided to look at energy efficiency in buildings. That seems like such a narrow scope uh, for your PhD project. Why did you make such a, a choice there in looking at energy efficiency in buildings? Yeah, energy is a key sector for addressing our sustainability challenges of today. And energy is a big sector. It has many subsections. And there, energy efficiency is really interesting because it is called the first fuel of all energy transitions. Because we need to think about how can we use energy more efficiently before we think about how can we produce more energy? So it's about using what we have in a better way. So energy efficiency is really key. And then we scoped it down to energy efficiency in buildings because the building sector is also a key for addressing some of these challenges. And do you know how big percentage of the total energy use in the EU, in the European Union, that actually goes to building, covering the entire lifespan of buildings. Any guesses? No idea. No idea, Sophie. So it's 40%. And on top of this, 75% of the buildings in the European Union are inefficient, energy inefficient. So obviously we have a large potential there. So this is why we scoped the research down to Swedish policy and research evaluations for energy efficiency in buildings. And what did we find? So yes, we did find that there are many evaluations conducted. And this is a great start. That means that we have a large pool of knowledge already generated in these evaluations that is accessible for learning and for moving ahead with planning new policies and for solving some of the problems. So there's a, there's a huge potential looking at energy efficiency in buildings, and obviously you can learn a lot from these evaluations. What, what were some of the things that you learned then in your research? In part, we saw that, yes, many evaluations are conducted. This is good, but they were mostly focusing on the program levels, and they were focusing on, as Per already mentioned, accountability and improvement of the programs. This is important pieces of learning, but it does not necessarily say much about how the evaluant, that is the, the program that is being evaluated, actually supports a transition. So while we have this amazing pool of knowledge, it's not necessarily used for supporting a transition. So that is when we then started to think about, okay, so where can we improve the current Swedish evaluation practices to make evaluations more able to support transition? And this is where we then introduced an evaluation approach that we simply call transformative evaluation. That's really interesting, Sophie. Did, did the project though that you worked on provide any suggestions on how we can use evaluation processes to be more useful for the transition? Yes, absolutely. So building on what we learned when looking at how research evaluations and policy evaluations are conducted, we identified some core areas that can be strengthened. And we also then present an approach to evaluation that we call transformative evaluation. And transformative evaluation, as we propose, it has two main tracks that should be considered when we design our evaluations to be supporting a transition. 
on the one hand, they should be transformative. And that means that they should build on key concepts for, from transition theories. And this is a huge academic field that has much research on how transitions come about and how we change these socio-technical systems that Pera mentioned. This, uh, these evaluations should also be knowledge-based. And that means that they should build on relevant theoretical underpinnings regarding methods, criteria, using uh, evaluations. It should think about how the evaluant is placed in the system, etc. Pal, do you have anything you want to add there? I'm just going on and on. Maybe I could just add one thing that if we look at transitions or any change, it's, it's uh, related to two things, the new and the old. And when we look at sustainability and uh, the lack of sustainability today, it's on one hand, how can we get knowledge to support the transitions of the, on the, the, the creation of new, more sustainable system? But we also need knowledge on how can the present unsustainable systems, fossil fuel-based system, for example, be broken up and made weaker. And, and what, uh, so we need evaluations that also recognize the path dependencies and lock-ins of the present unsustainable system. So that was just a small addition. But what do we mean by path dependency and lock-in? I mean, these are terms that I often hear, but I don't actually understand what they mean when you use them. Per, can you help us unpack that a bit? Well, with path dependency, we mean that the past decisions that we have taken are determining uh, the decisions of the future. Not fully, but what is more likely. So if we have, for example, a lot of um, direct or indirect support for using a lot of energy, if we don't remove these supports, we will continue to use a lot of energy, even if there are more energy efficient solutions available. And locking then is a form of path dependency that the investment you have made, either in physical investment or in knowledge, just makes it that for a long future, you only have one option available. So if you build a new nuclear power plant, then, then it's likely that we will be locked into to nuclear energy production for a long time. And this is also, it can also be related to our focus on buildings, because buildings also have a long time of lock-in. When we construct a, a building, what we place in it will stay for a long time, maybe up to 50 years. So the decisions we make today on energy performance will matter for a long time. And that is also part of a lock-in. Absolutely, which actually links to one of the previous questions I had. Sophie, when I heard you talking about all of the criteria or elements that we need to keep in mind when we're thinking about the, the evaluation, you mentioned the vision. And what vision do we want to go towards? And so obviously, if we are building buildings or developing infrastructure that are going to lock us in or make us dependent on specific pathways, how do we come up with a vision? Who agrees on what the vision is that we want to transition into? Yeah, that is a, a bit of a political question, I think. And it does not have an easy or clear answer because, of course, there is not one vision that we all agree upon because there are vested interests and people they want to have different solutions or they want they envision different futures. It's hard to agree just on that sustainability or preventing climate change is something that we should aim for. And I'm sure that as these issues get more and more complex, it's harder and harder to actually have a, a shared vision here. I think it's really good that you raise this question because vision is quite problematic. And we know from history that there has been societies 
with very strong visions that have not been very beneficial if you look at it later on. So I think it's really important that we have a democratic process, that we have deliberation about the visions, that we talk about them. However, we can also see that if we have, and we have had in many, many cases, uh, economic policies that have been based on just that, it doesn't matter in what goals we achieve, as long as we have a lot of growth, that has not taken us in a very good direction. And I think if you look at Europe, for example, the EU, Sweden, or Lund, we have very clear, I think, visions that are not fully agreed upon, but many agreed upon about a climate neutral future for EU, for Sweden, and for Lund. So I think we have plenty to work on, and we should just integrate that into specific policies and evaluations. Yeah, and so, Per, maybe to try to link this back to our topic of evaluation. So do you think Sweden or Lund that have clearer visions about where we want this transition to go, does it then make it an easier task to evaluate because the vision is clear or clearer, maybe? Well, I think one of the points in, in, that we, in this project that we try to make is that the individual evaluation should not be just about how the specific project or program that you evaluate have achieved their specific goals, but that should be also linked to whether that project or program has contributed to the overall vision of changing, in this case, the energy efficiency of buildings so that it support, really support this vision of a climate neutral world, Sweden and Lund. So this is all a super interesting conversation, right? I mean, talking about path dependency and lock-in and visions. And Sophie, from what I understand in your research, this all kind of fits under what you call transformative-based evaluation. But you mentioned that there were two particular tracks as part of your research, the other being knowledge-based evaluation. What specifically do you mean when you say knowledge-based evaluation? Yeah, so knowledge-based evaluation then that is the track that seeks to complement the transformative track. So in the transformative track, we focus on which are the key concepts that evaluations need to heed or consider if they want to be able to inform about transformative contributions. Then the knowledge-based track, it seeks to provide guidance on how to do this basically. And a key thing that we argue in our project is that knowledge-based evaluations, they need to be interdisciplinary. They need to build on multiple different theoretical underpinnings in order to be able to capture the complexities. Can you give us an example when you say an interdisciplinary policy evaluation? So we can definitely look at, for example, evaluation theory. That would be a natural place to start because here we would find valuable insights on how to conduct evaluations using different approaches, methods, different value criteria, and we could also find some insights on how to make evaluations more useful. But we should also couple this with insights from sociology, for example, to understand how societies are built up, how they function, what is the role of public policies and research in society. We could also need to couple it with some insights on psychology, for example, environmental psychology, to understand how are people affected and how are people affecting different public policies. And the only way to capture this is to really look into all these different theoretical underpinnings and not just get focused on one. So 
what transformative evaluation does, as we propose it, is that it tries to couple transformative insights with knowledge-based insights and as such provide guidance on how to design evaluations. And does this sound super big and super daunting for an evaluator? Yes, it probably does. But our sustainability challenges are also daunting. So we argue that we need to think about how we evaluate. And then a last key thing that I just want to mention with this transformative evaluation approach is that we do not say that all evaluations need to cover all these aspects at one go, because that would be overwhelming for everyone. Instead, we need to think consciously about which are the evaluations we need and how can we make individual evaluations become pieces of a greater puzzle? How can we synthesize them, put them together and see a larger picture to prevent that evaluations just become, you know, ticking boxes and a little bit of paperwork that ends up in a shelf. So this is in essence what we propose with transformative evaluation to think consciously about how evaluations can be combined and designed to support a transition. So this is great. So we're talking about how we can come up with evaluation that will support with the transition. And we can all evaluate as much as we like. But if we don't actually use that evaluation, it then becomes a bit useless. So how do we actually use evaluation in practice? First of all, on that note, we should all be aware that there are many different ways of using evaluations. Just looking into evaluation theory, there are different models suggested and not all of them are official. There are also unofficial ways of using evaluations. So some examples we have already talked about, it's accountability and it's learning, enlightenment. These are official use models for evaluation. We want to improve, we want to know if this really worked. But then we have other kinds of use that might be more tactical. For example, we want to persuade someone that our line is the right or that we did invest money correctly. Uh, we might want to mobilize action or maybe we just want to postpone a decision. So these are unofficial ways of using evaluation and all these we should remember when we talk about use. So what I found uh, in this research, I reached out to some Swedish state agencies and trying to probe how they see evaluation use or how they perceive evaluation use at their departments. And I found that the most recognized models of use were indeed proactive ones, those that actually promote true learning, that promote improvement, but also that promote using evaluations more broadly. So that was really nice to see. And then also uh, I saw that the other ways of using evaluations, the more unofficial ways, these were not as frequently recognized. So I think this really paves way for an increased use of evaluations. But another key finding also was that it seemed as representatives at these state agencies see that evaluations are not currently used to their full potential. So there are some structural barriers to increasing use of evaluations and particularly for using or moving towards a transformative evaluation approach, because I also then try to understand what are the possibilities for Swedish state agencies to adopt this transformative evaluation approach. And 
what was really fun to see was that there was a, a great uh, enthusiasm and uh, a, a big willingness to discuss evaluation issues and transformative evaluation. And they were very interested and wanted to find out more about it. But on the other hand, it was also obvious that if we really want to go to this making evaluations pieces of a larger puzzle, it does require changes of the current evaluation systems of today because it does require cross-border collaboration between state agencies and a more systematic uh, learning exchange between different departments as such. And these things need to be developed further if you truly want to go for uh, using a transformative evaluation approach. So maybe this might be a simplistic question, but I was trying to understand who would you say are like the key actors that are responsible for this evaluation? Who has agency to make sure this evaluation happens? Who is responsible to, to deliver support or challenge these evaluations that we have? So in my research, I looked at evaluations that were commissioned by state agencies in Sweden, because that is where we have the policymakers usually, and they can then inform policymakers. So I think part of this responsibility lies with state agencies to commission evaluations that deliberately seek to provide learning that can support a transition. But then it also requires perhaps some methodological development or um, learning on behalf of those that conduct the evaluations. And people that conduct evaluations are found both in state agencies, some state agencies conduct their own evaluations, but they can also be within academia or they can be consultants that conduct evaluations. So I'd say we, we have many different actor groups that need to come together if we really want to increase use and move towards transformative evaluation. Maybe I could add also that at the side, I think we have seen that there are also NGOs and other stakeholders that that on one hand use evaluations and on the other hand also sometimes commission evaluations. So I think it's, it's a rather rich environment of different kinds of actors. And I think there is a potential for the actors to use not only and think not only about their own piece of the puzzle, but as, as Sophie said, the, more the overall pieces. So, what evaluations have been done by others or commissioned by others and how can we link them together? And this cannot be done by, by one actor, but, but many actors can have an active role in, in doing this. Do you see leadership in this area where government or an agency is trying to make these links between existing evaluations and what can be learned across them holistically? I think to a certain degree. I think at the moment we see a huge movement towards this focus on transitions in policymaking. You can see that if you look at especially the EU level, but also several member states, including Sweden, are talking a lot about these system transformations. You cannot yet see that in the evaluation discourse, but hopefully the work of Sophie and others will bring it up there. Um, and then one has to recognize that there are very different policy styles in different countries. In Sweden, I think, and, and this is very clear when you come from another country and, and look at Sweden, you have on one hand a very decentralized public sector with a lot of different agencies with very specific mandates. On the other hand, you have very sophisticated culture of deliberation. I mean, 
in Finland, we always say, say that the Swedes talk endlessly about anything, but they have all these mechanisms already where they can talk and, and bring things together. So in that sense, in Sweden, it will probably work in a less top-down and less centrally organized, but where every agencies would come together, whereas in another country, say Finland, it would need somebody clear, like a prime minister's office takes a lead on these issues, some key ministry. So it's very context dependent. Yeah, the context then here sounds super important. I just think maybe in closing our discussion here, when I look around the world around me, I see that we do have some large challenges. I mean, I don't know if you saw the news recently, the average CO2 concentrations for the month of March broke all-time record. So while we are making progress on climate change and biodiversity, there's still a lot to be done. And I guess that's one of the hopes of your research, Sophie, and Pear, is to learn and maybe even transform how we learn from these evaluations. Maybe I give the closing word to Sophie. I know you're wrapping up your, your PhD research here at the Institute. And as part of finalizing your PhD thesis, I'm sure you have a list of recommendations. What are the things that you recommend someone to take away from your research? Is there anything that you can recommend our listeners in uh, kind of summarizing what we've discussed here today? I think for a listener who is not working with evaluation, I still think it could be meaningful to think about the different policies that are around us and think about how they support or challenge the way we do things in our societies. I think sometimes it's easy to just take things for granted and just think that this is just the way it is, but it doesn't have to be like that. And asking the right questions and trying to provide the right answers there might actually change the way we see things. So I think that would be my closing words. We'll just take this to say again, congratulations, Sophie, on an amazing four years and a half of research. So thank you very much for joining us. And thank you, Pear, too, for, for your time and your wonderful insights. Thank you so much for having us here. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Since we've talked about how we can use evaluation in practice, we thought it would be great to hear from Lisa Eriksson, evaluator at the Swedish Environmental Protection Agency, about how they use evaluation and how they work with evaluating for a transition. Lisa, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So to start with, could you tell us a bit more about your role at the EPA and how, how do you work with evaluation? Well, uh, I work with the policy evaluation and analysis at the Swedish EPA and have done so since 2008. And uh, important for the activities at the Swedish EPA the coming years are the Agenda 2030 and the Sustainable Development Goals, the European Green Deal and the challenges we face in Sweden connected to these and connected to achieving Sweden's environmental objectives. Many challenges are on a systemic level which means we need to plan and think in more transformative ways. Therefore, innovation initiatives and system thinking are gradually getting more attention at the Swedish EPA in the light of the transformation needed in society. This is, of course, a challenge when it comes to evaluation and analysis to evaluate if we are moving in the right direction. 
So we try our best to be updated on methodology, to have flexibility in our approach and to learn from other organizations, for example, the European Environment Agency. And when it comes to planning our evaluation activities for a coming year, we are guided by thinking, where can our evaluations produce the most effect in the environmental work performed at the Swedish EPA in order to reach the environmental objectives? I really appreciate the challenges there in matching the method and the evaluation approach with the policy that is going to be evaluated. Lisa, do you have a, an example of where you have worked with transformative evaluation in an evaluation setting? We had the opportunity to try a transformative approach in an evaluation of the e-bike subsidy, a subsidy where several societal objectives, several societal levels and actors were relevant and where our aim with evaluation was to give more knowledge on different kinds of effects from the e-bike subsidy. There was a match with several of the transformative aspects. The subsidy related to effects on several system levels, geographical, social, economical, environmental. There was a combination of actions at different levels, the national subsidy with regional use, also the multi-actor approach with beneficiaries, bicycle industry, bicycle organizations, interested researchers, and uh, the development of e-biking is also interesting over time and related to overarching societal goals and to a perspective of learning. I hear that you managed there to pick up on the systems perspective, the multi-actor perspective, and trying to tie all this together. Was it a completely new challenge for you? Could you use the methods and the toolboxes that you already had at hand, or was it rethinking evaluation altogether? It was a um, quite unusual situation with a quite unclear commission. So we actually had a high degree of freedom. And at the same time, uh, there was a lack of data. Uh, sometimes you think of this is the way we should do it, but uh, we realized we will not have all the data in time. So we try to be creative. So a last question here on transformative evaluation. What is it like then to communicate it, to use it? Well, there is always a communication challenge when it comes to results in relation to the methodology chosen. Innovative analysis of complex issues therefore need to have easily explained assumptions to achieve the transparency needed. And also openness and transparency along the way is important and to involve actors in the most suitable way to make the evaluation more relevant for the actors, as we want an evaluation to be used by many to support the transition needed. So uh, that is uh, important factors for the evaluation to be used, I think. That's a, a great summary, Lisa, of, of the complexities of trying to evaluate for a transition. I can imagine the, the challenges, but also the opportunities that come with rethinking how we can evaluate for a transition and trying to incorporate all these aspects that we have discussed now, like the multi-actor perspective, the systems perspective, and tying these different initiatives, like the electric bike program, for example, to a transition for more sustainable mobility and behavior. It all comes together really interestingly in the end. So thank you so much for sharing this knowledge with us and for joining us today, Lisa. Thank you. 
we've just heard from Sophie, Pear and Lisa about evaluation of public policies. Now we know that some of these topics are dense and might be a bit complicated. And since the topic is quite new to me and potentially some of you listeners, I'm going to try to summarize here what I've understood from this conversation. So simply put, as a society, we have complex sustainability challenges and public policies are being developed to target these challenges. Now, once these policies are done being implemented, we need to evaluate them. And these evaluations are to assess both the successes of these policies and whether these policies are supporting with the overall objectives of the transition. Yeah, exactly. We also learned that there's no generic formula on how one can evaluate public policies to determine whether a particular policy instrument supports that transition. Although Sophie did make a few suggestions for us. For example, she outlined the transformative and knowledge-based evaluations as potential approaches. We also discussed that transformative evaluation is about linking different evaluations to each other. Instead of having multiple evaluations side by side, we need to see them as part of a larger picture. Each single piece of knowledge from a policy evaluation, when combined with other evaluations, can add extra insights with greater impact on an aggregate level, right? The whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. And the potential here is really enormous. Of course, transformative evaluation often requires more work, a systems perspective, and a willingness to do things differently than they've always been done before. Therefore, greater international collaboration is required and more meaningful exchange between government agencies is necessary. Today, even such collaboration is hard to imagine within a single country, but this is really the recipe for transforming policy evaluations for transitions. Right, exactly. And so, as we can see, there are general guidelines on how to go about conducting these evaluations, but the process is still evolving and changing as new insights are gained. And no doubt, evaluating for a systemic change is inherently complex. But the fact that it's complex and difficult is not a reason to not undertake these evaluations, because really, they're the only way to ensure accountability, lessons learned, legitimacy, and justice. So as we wrap up this episode, if you are interested to learn more about the content in today's podcast episode and receive extra materials about the research on transformative evaluation, including articles written by Sophie and Pear, as well as the example provided by Lisa from the Swedish EPA, make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. You can sign up on our website, www.iiee.lu.se slash podcast. And if you want to know more about the evaluations that Lisa talked about, check out the Swedish EPA website, www.swedishepa.se. There are reports in both English and Swedish for those that are interested. Once again, we want to thank Sophie, Per, and Lisa for joining us on today's podcast. Also, a special thanks to our production assistant, Franz Libertsen. And of course, thank you all for joining us in another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Next episode, we will hear from Stephen, who is also defending the spring. Congratulations, Stephen. What will you be talking to us about next episode? Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Uh, it'll be a bittersweet episode in many ways, but uh, I'm really excited to share a little bit about my PhD research. Specifically, I'll be talking about sustainable business models in the sharing economy. And I've invited my supervisor, Professor Oksana Mont, to join the episode as well. And no doubt there'll likely be some more philosophical reflections on uh, podcast research and society as well. So looking forward to a final episode here in May. Great. Really looking forward to it too. 
Until next time. 